this day, as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. I want to preach on this senior day celebration from the subject, Lessons from a Seasoned Saint. Lessons for, from a seasoned saint. As I look out around the congregation today, I see some seasoned saints. I see Deacon Matthews and, um, and uh, uh, Deacon Vale and Deacon Brown and, and Mother Brown. And, and uh, I see Mother Day, uh, B- B- Ben Johnson, Brother Ben Johnson and his, and his lovely wife, Sister Johnson. And just seasoned saints. People have been on the battlefield for a long, long, long time. And what an encouragement you all are to us. What an encourage, what, a, what a joy it is for us to be in your presence, to have an opportunity to worship with you and to work with you and to walk with you. We live in a society and a nation where youth is glamorized and aging is portrayed as distasteful. Now, I'm, I'm pleased as I prepared this sermon to see that that pendulum is swinging some in the, in the other direction. Uh, but to a large degree, youth is still glamorized, and, and, and to a large degree, aging is still portrayed as distasteful. In fact, the cosmetic industry, as well as the plastic surgery industry, makes a fortune each year because of the negative mentality the Western world associates with the progression of aging. Back while I was a student at Benedict College, Uh, My economics instructor was a brilliant man by the name of A.O. Ninjako. He was from Nigeria. Brilliant, brilliant man. A great, great, great professor. And some days while we were in class, uh, Dr. Ninjako did like many of your teachers did. um, He would just kind of, something would, would, would trigger a thought in his mind, and he would go off on a tangent talking about other things. Right, Brother Fred, that happens sometimes. You're teaching your lesson, and all of a sudden, something comes in your mind, and, you know, you take off on a tangent. But that's what he did. He took off on a tangent. And I remember one day, he, he took off on this tangent about aging. And he began to talk about, in his country, how the elderly were respected and how it was a joy and how it was a privilege to become an older person and how and how and how um, the young people and the middle-aged people looked forward to getting older, that it was not a drudgery to get older in his community, but it was great joy because senior people were placed on a pedestal. They were catered unto because they had wisdom, they had knowledge, and the young people would gather around just to glean from them some wisdom of life. He said very sternly and with a touch of arrogance, In my country, it is an honor to grow old. Old people, he said, were treated with dignity and respect. And one of the joys of my life was uh, many years after graduating from Benedict College to have my daughter uh, be a student in Dr. Najako's class before he he retired. And, 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 And when he found out she was my daughter, he was just so delighted. And excited, but I remember the picket. I remember the picket. <laughs> but needless to say, uh, Dr. Najako's words struck a chord with me because 
I, I was reared by my loving grandparents and my aunt who lived next door who were, who, who were uh, at least a couple generations older than, than I was. My grandparents had already raised their two children, but yet they felt like it was their God-given duty to stand in the gap and, and take care of me and to raise me. But the question today that begs to be answered is why this obsession with youth? Why all of this fascination and this fixation with a period of time in life that's fleeting, that's passing away? It doesn't take rocket science to figure out that anyone who lives long enough will get older and we keep on living, we will get old. <laughs> Am I right about it? <laughs> and, and the thing about it is, nothing can stop the process. We can have all of the tucks, all of the plastic surgery, all of the cosmetics, all of the exercise we want. It helps us but it will not stop the aging process. If we live long enough, eventually we will get, we will become old. All right, some of us are old enough to remember old Marilyn Monroe. She got old, didn't she? Once, once the, 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 the centerpiece in magazines, once the centerfold, she got old. Betty Davis, movie star, she got old. Dolly Parton, got old. Joan Rivers, got old. Phyllis Diller, I remember as a boy watching her, the Phyllis Diller show. She got old. Creams and exercises and tucks and plastic surgery didn't stop the process. All right, all right, all right. I think I'm missing some folks. Diana Ross. Gladys Knight, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, all superstars in our day, they got old, didn't they? All right, I see I'm still not striking a nerve with some of the ladies here. How about Billy D. Williams? Oh, yes. I, I, oh, yes, especially with the ladies. Oh, yes. But Google, Google a picture of him today and compare it to that of yesterday, yesteryear, and you'll find the aging process has, has, has taken its toll. And the truth of the matter is, eventually Denzel Washington, Michael Fox, uh, all will, 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 will be uh, uh, impacted by the aging process. But far too many people foolishly worship the transitory segment of life called youth. Am I right about it? Now, please don't understand me. What if, what I misunderstand what I'm saying. Youth certainly has its place and should be appreciated as well as celebrated. However, just as much appreciation, celebration, and value should be placed upon living a well-seasoned life, should be placed upon those who 
are now in their senior years, in the sunshine years, as much appreciation and celebration should be, pre be put on the aging process or getting old as we call it. And if there's one place that appreciation, celebration, and value should be emphasized, showcased, highlighted, and spotlighted upon the seniors, the elderly, the older, it ought to be in the church. Irregardless of what Hollywood says, irregardless of what the sporting sector says, irregardless of what television was portrayed on television and the movies, if there's one place where agents should be highlighted, spotlighted, it ought to be in the church. Amen. The church, the family of God, those of us who know God and know what God's word says about people he used in his service in their twilight years should be leading the way, holding up the banner, and promoting the sacred blessing and value of old age. There's a sacred value in old age. There is a sacred blessing in growing old. There's something about getting older that is a blessing from God. Let me share several snapshots. I won't go into detail because most of you already know the story, but just several snapshots of senior leadership from the Bible. People so society would call old or over the hill, or people society would put out to pasture, but not God. They were used by God. Notice Abraham and Sarah were past 90, when their son Isaac was born. I don't think we have anybody with us this morning that's past 90. Nothing is impossible with God. Moses and his brother Aaron were both past 80. When called to lead Israel from Egypt. Joshua and Caleb, you remember Joshua and Caleb, led the conquest of Canaan and served God till past a hundred years of age. They were still serving God. Daniel was past 80 when he served as governor in Babylon. How many governors in the United States do we have that are 80 years old? Tells you something, doesn't it, about our society. It was during this period of his life, Daniel's life, that he was cast into the lion's den. Simeon and Anna, remember, were waiting for God to reveal the ma Messiah. Both were past 80 when Jesus Christ was presented to them. Interestingly, none of these senior citizens in the Bible retired from serving God. Isn't that interesting? Track the annals of biblical history and find out how many senior citizens retired from serving God. In fact, the biblical model is clear. People of God, no matter how seasoned in life they became or no matter how long they lived, never retired from serving God. It's a lifelong process. Now, to be sure, retiring from secular employment can be wonderful. 
And, and many of you are looking forward to the day when you can retire from your secular job. Some of you have already retired, and it's a wonderful experience. You're enjoying yourself. You get up when you want to get up. You go to breakfast when you want to go to breakfast. You stay as long as you want to stay, and you do what you want to do during the day for the most part. I know a lot of guys, you get those honeydew lists, and, you know, when you when you retire, and I've heard guys say, man, I, I, I work more now than I did when I, was, when I was on the job. My wife got so much stuff for me to do. I'm always doing something. But one of the things that makes it wonderful to retire from your secular job is that when you retire from your 8 to 4, your 9 to 5, your 3 to 11, or whatever the case may be, you will have more time to spend serving God in ways that you want to serve God. That's exciting, isn't it? And I just got to put this in there. I see sometimes I'm at the church, I'm in the office, and uh, and Deacon Bell has retired from his secular job, and, you know, he kind of does little part-time things he wants to do, but sometimes he just come back. You know, he just rides by the church. Pastor, I just stop by to say hello, and we have a word of prayer. And others of you who have retired, Deacon Brown is retired, he comes up on Wednesday, Bible study, new time, opens the door of the church, holds devotion, time. he loves it. If he was working on the secular job, he wouldn't be able to do that. And Deacon Matthews is here, New Time Bible said, retired. I remember years before he retired from the railroad, he said, Pastor, I am looking forward to retirement. My wife and I had the grand opportunity, as we did with Deacon Browning, to be at his retirement celebration, retirement party. And what a great time it was. Retirement from secular jobs give you opportunity to serve God in ways your heart desires. Well, our scripture, the text for today, tells the story of an old man by our standards named Caleb. And thanks be to God, Caleb did not retire from serving God. He never felt like he had put his time in the battle, and now it was time for him to retreat, to kick back, take life easy, and allow the younger crowd to do what God had called him to do. No, quite the contrary. Caleb stayed engaged and actively pursued the blessings God had promised him. Listen carefully as Caleb speaks with, with Joshua in chapter 14, verses 6 through 15. Caleb begins in verse 6. You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Verse 7. I was 40 years old. Get this now. When Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word to him as it was in my heart. The phrase in the text that says I brought word means that Caleb brought a message, or, or Caleb brought, brought a report. What was Caleb's message? What was Caleb's report? Caleb's message was this. We can do it. Caleb said we can do it. There are giants in the land, but we can take it. God said it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. God said it. It's a done deal. The victory is ours. We need only to fight the fight. Verse 8, nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me, those around him, his brethren who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. But watch what Caleb says. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. Caleb said, I tried to tell them 
I tried to encourage them. I tried to spur them on, but they weren't having it. They were stuck in a rut, gripped by fear, caught in the vice of negativism. They were more in tune with the reason of man than they were in tune with the word of God. So I tried to tell them, Caleb said. God said we could have this victory. We can do it. But they said no. I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed at times with Pastor Stephen's enthusiasm about this hated trip and all that God has called us to do and asked us to do, feeding people and providing medicine for people and providing shoes for people. And, 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 and he's encouraged by this. And I hear him say, God has called us to this. We can do it. Haiti is just the beginning. Verse 9, so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. Did you get that? Moses, the man of God, speaking on behalf of God, made a promise to Caleb based upon Caleb's unswerving commitment to God. The promise was this. Caleb, since you have stayed faithful to me, that is to God, since you have chosen to go with me rather than go with the flow, since you stood firm on my word, that is the word of God, rather than popular opinion, I'm going to bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or imagine. Stay with God, and he will bless you exceedingly, abundantly, above all you could ever ask or imagine. Now fast forward 45 years. Caleb is now in his golden years. He has seen a lot. As the people used to say back in Jehovah Missionary Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina, where I grew up, he has seen a lot of risings and settings of the sun. He has attended, get this now, the funerals of all the adults, his contemporaries, older than him, all of the adults who doubted God and died without going into the promised land. He's gone to a lot of funerals. 85 years, he, he's seen a, a lot of death. He's gone to a lot of, he's seen a lot of things happen. But notice what he said in verse 10. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive. As he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now Caleb said, here I am this day. Here I am this day, 85 years old. Caleb's word in verse 10 reminds me of the words of the choir when they sing, I'm here today because God kept me. I, 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 I'm alive today because God kept, God kept me. Caleb has said, so I wouldn't let go. Remember, Caleb is a man. He's a strong man, but yet he's a man. He had his difficulties.
difficult days. He had his trying days. He had his periods of doubt. But he, but, but God kept me, Caleb said. Is there anybody in this church house today who can say like Caleb, God kept me? If there anyone here today who is not afraid or ashamed to say, God kept me, if there are just one or two people here in this sanctuary who can and will declare, like the psalmist declared in Psalm 27, 35, I have been young. If there anybody here that can say that, I have been young. One day I was able to run faster. I was able to jump higher. My eyesight was better. One day I was young. I didn't take any medication. One day I was young. And now I'm old. The aging process has caught up with me. Age has tracked me down. Old man time has tracked me down. I once was young, but now years have passed. Now. Water under the bridge. Now I'm old. Hair. It's not black like it used to be. In some places, I don't even have hair on my head. I'm old. Yet, I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed. Break a bag and bread. In other words, he said, I've never seen God go back on his word. I've never witnessed a time in my life where God has turned his back on those who trusted in him. I've never seen God turn a deaf ear to those who love him. All I'm trying to say on this senior day is that good hope is that God is our keeper. God is our refuge and strength. God is the one who cares for us. And God will provide for you. That's what Caleb is saying. That's what he said. God will provide. But wait a minute. It, it gets better. It gets more exciting, more electrifying. Verse 11, Caleb says, 85 years old. And he says, I'm, I'm still as strong today as on the day Moses sent me. I still got that vigor. Don't fool yourself. I still got that vitality. Don't fool yourself. I may be old. I mean, I walk as fast. But don't try me. I may not be able to jump as high, but don't try me. I'm just as strong. My mind goes back to a few years ago, and we had a, we, we, on our health ministry, and we were on our bikes. And I think at that time, Deacon Brown must have been about, about 70 years old at that time, and we got on our bicycle and rode 15 miles together. I don't know if Sister Brown had finished dealing with him on that yet or not. But, but what a great deal it is. What, 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 what a joy it is to see the men of our church, the women of our church, still actively involved in ministry. Yeah. 
I marvel at Sister Patterson, 85 years old, who, who gets around better than some people half her age. I marvel at Deacon Brown and uh, Deacon uh, Bell and Deacon Matthews and other seniors who are actively around the grill whenever we have family, church family cookout. Working and painting and moving and pulling and pushing and whatever God has called them to do. Caleb says, I'm just as strong today as I was in the day Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war. And, and I looked up those words. He's talking about strength. He's talking not only physical strength, but he said, I'm mentally. Yeah, I looked that up. I looked it up. And, and, and part of that word for strength I'm mentally strong. God has given me my faculties. I can think straight. I'm strong mentally both for going out and for coming in. Verse 11, Caleb is not boasting in him in, in, in himself. He's just testifying. To the goodness of God. He said, I ain't telling y'all this to, to kind of lift myself up. I'm not telling y'all this to make you try to think how big I am. I'm telling you this because I want you to know how good and how gracious. If there's anybody here that knows that God is gracious and God is good all the time. He says, God, by his grace and his mercy, I've I've just as much strength, just as much stamina, just as much staying power today as I had back in, back in the day. What Caleb does here is build a strong case for what he is about to request of Joshua in verse 12, where he says, now therefore, this he's saying to Joshua, Joshua, now therefore, give me this mountain on which the Lord spoke in that day, for you heard in that day how Anakim, was there and that the cities were great and fortified and maybe it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out as the Lord said. Now notice something. Something struck me in this text. Notice how Caleb stuck with the program. Notice how Caleb stayed with the program. Even in his old age. Time did not sway him from staying and sticking with God's promise. He asked for the same land God promised to give the people of Israel 45 years ago. It was mountainous land. The giants were in the land. The giants who would not take kindly to anyone seeking to possess the land which they had occupied. The city was fortified, meaning it was well guarded and protected by armed soldiers. And although 45 years had passed, Caleb stayed with the program. He did not change. He did not deviate. In other words, Caleb knew how to wait on God's blessing. He knew how to stay there until God fulfilled his promises. Come hell or high water, Caleb stayed there. Now, I'm sure a lesser man would have asked Joshua for some flat land, <laughs> not mountainous land. Are y'all with me? Because because he, a lesser man wouldn't want mountains to climb, not, not at that age. Uh, a lesser man would have asked for a less fortified place 
where the enemies could be easily overrun. A place where he could kick back and live out the remainder of his days at ease. But not Caleb. Notice, he asked for the tough assignment. 85 years old. What he what he what he said to put it in modern day vernacular, Pastor, I am asking for the tough assignment. Whatever the church is doing, sign me up. Sign me up. Yes, for the tough assignment. Simply because that was the assignment God whispered in his year ear and placed on his heart 45 years earlier. Perhaps he did it as unfinished business. Perhaps that's the reason God preserved him the way he did. And in verse 13, Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron and his inheritance. Caleb was victorious over his enemies. How do we know? Because verse 15 tells us, then the land had rest from war. Now, as I prepare to close, I want to point out just four brief lessons from a seasoned saint. I want you to get these. Lesson one is about uncompromising conviction. Caleb was a man of deep and abiding conviction. What it is, what a blessing it is to have seniors in our congregation, men and women of God who have deep abiding conviction. They aren't pushed around with every little fad and every little hoop and holler and every little new thing that comes. They have deep conviction. Caleb was a man of deep and abiding conviction. He was willing to stand for God, even if it meant him standing alone. That's what it means to have deep conviction. It means to stand for God. Stand on that word. Do what you know is right, regardless of who goes against you. He said in verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Lesson 2 is about unreserved commitment. Caleb was was all in to the end. I'm grateful today that we have seniors in this church who are all in to the end. Verse 12, Caleb says, it may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out. Caleb was willing to wholeheartedly commit to God and leave the results in the hands of God. In other words, he says, I'm going to do what God told me to do, and however God works it out, yeah. it's all right with me. Yeah. Kind of reminds me of Esther who said, I'm going to go to the king because that's the right thing to do, and if I perish, so be it. I perish. Reminds me of Shadrach, Meshach. Better go to Hebrew boys who were placed in a fiery furnace who said, in essence, oh, king, do whatever it is you have to do. But I want you to know one thing. The God I serve is able to deliver me. But I want you to know one thing. Even if he chooses not to, we still will not bow. We will do the right thing. 
third lesson is about unalterable courage. What that means is that nobody could turn them around. Isn't it wonderful to be around people like that who have courage? They're not afraid of other people. They're not afraid of the economy. They're not afraid of, of threats. They, they're not afraid, uh, uh, not afraid of, 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 of losing jobs for standing up what, for what's right. They're, not, they, they're unalterable courage. Back in Numbers 13, when ten spies brought a negative report to Moses, the closing argument they used is found in verse 13. There we saw the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. Y'all remember the story, don't you? Well, 45 years later, Caleb is now an old man. But notice his courage had not wavered at all. Now as well as then in the eyes of Caleb, Look at this unalterable courage. His courage was rooted and grounded in God. See, that's why our courage comes from. If our courage is in our money, it's going to fail us. If our courage is in our looks, it's going to fail us. If our courage is in our education, our academic accomplishments, they're going to fail us. If our courage is in our job titles, it's going to fail us. If our courage is in what people say about us and how people push us up and put us on a pedestal, it's going to fail us. But when our courage is rooted and grounded in Almighty God, it will not fail. So, notice, 45 years later, courage, Caleb's courage, grounded in God, had not wavered at all. He's now, as well as in the eyes of, of Caleb, God was the giant. And Anakim were the grasshoppers. Did you get that? God was the giant. And the giants in the land were the grasshoppers. That's what he tried to get them to see. 45 years ago. That's what we need to help people to see, that God is the giant. The economy is the grasshopper. God is the giant. Powerful and wealthy politicians are the grasshoppers. God is the giant. God is running things. God will provide for you. God will take care of you. God will see you through. God will lift you up. God will hold you up. God will make your enemies behave. God will turn your midnight into day. God will give you beauty for ashes. God is the giant. That's all Caleb was trying to say. He had unalterable courage because he knew that God was the giant, not man, not woman. You see, in a real sense, unalterable courage causes us to tell our problems how big and how awesome our God is instead of the other way around. And as far as Caleb was concerned, the issue was not about the land being filled with giants, but rather about the land being filled with God. The fourth and final lesson is about unwavering confidence. Caleb was steadfast in his dependence upon God. Look at verse 13b. And I shall be able to drive them out. Simply put, Caleb proclaimed, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. The matter is a done deal. It's an open and shut case. How about this, good hope? You're on your way to hate it. God said it. We believe it. It's a matter of, it's a done deal. It's an open and shut case. We are going, come hell or high water, we are going, no matter who gets in the way, 